The Compliance Life details the journey to and in the role of a Chief Compliance Officer. How does one come to sit in the CCO chair? What are some of the skills a CCO needs to successfully navigate the compliance waters in any company? What are some of the top challenges CCOs have faced and how did they meet them? These questions and many others will be explored in this new podcast series. The Compliance Life is hosted by Tom Fox, and each month he'll present the story of one CCO through four episodes. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This month on The Compliance Life, my guest is Lewis Sapperman, Vice President, Chief Ethics and Compliance Officer and Chief Compliance Counsel for Panasonic Corporation of North America, the principal North American subsidiary of Panasonic Corporation. He oversees the company's regulatory and compliance function, maintaining a culture of ethics and ensuring all employees are upholding Panasonic's long-standing values in their work. Sapperman previously served as Associate General Counsel and Chief Compliance Officer for the Dun & Bradstreet Corporation. During his tenure as CCO, the company was recognized as one of the world's most ethical companies by Ethisphere. Prior to moving in-house, he worked in private practice with several law firms, including Wilmer Cutler at Pickering, Hale & Door, and Buchanan Ingersoll. Throughout his career, Sapperman has been recognized for his work. In both 2015 and 2016, Ethisphere Institute named him to their list of attorneys who matter in compliance and ethics, and in 2010, he was named International Employment Lawyer of the Year by the Associates Association of Corporate Counsel. The topics we explore this month include... In episode one, the personal and professional journey of a CCO. In episode two, qualities of the successful CECO. In episode three, how communication can be used as a driver of culture. And in episode four, Sapperman looks at his crystal ball, where the profession is going into the 2020s and beyond. It's a great series, and I know you will enjoy it. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox back for another month-long series on the compliance life. What's it like to get to the CCO chair? What's it like when you get there? And where could that perhaps take you? This month, I am extraordinarily thrilled to have with me Lewis Sapperman. Uh, Lewis, first of all, thank you for uh, taking the time uh, to visit with me for this series. It is a pleasure as always, Tom. So, Lewis, uh, I thought maybe we might talk about a little bit about your background, why you do what you do. You've been a, a you're a lawyer by profession, and you've been in the corporate world for quite some time. So, why is it you started out, and why is it you do what you do now? Everything starts with my family. Uh, I have always been uh, a family first person, and. Uh, Frankly, what brought me to where I am is finding a profession that I could get uh, personal satisfaction uh, from, while also being able to provide a uh, uh, a nice life for my family and a uh, uh, a good life and good opportunities for my my kids and. So that's that's certainly the thing that drives me first and foremost. No question about it. So. Uh... Could you tell us a little bit about your wife? My wife is wonderful. I am about among the luckiest people in the whole world. Um, I often say to a, a joke to my wife that she's uh, she's top ten, uh, but of course, knowing that number one is still in the top ten, she's she's certainly number one. And uh, she uh, she and I, her name is Nadine. She and I met at uh, college. 
and she is among the hardest working people I know. Uh, luckily, I make a very good living, and so she does not need to work for money, but she is an environmental activist and uh, is out there every day uh, working for Citizens Climate Lobby and other organizations to try to uh, bring some common sense solutions to uh, the climate crisis that faces us, and I'm very, very proud of her. Tell me about your boys. I have three boys. Uh, my oldest is 22. Uh, Jared is uh, in college. He is uh, interested in finance. And before finance, he is most interested in baseball. He's been a baseball player his whole life and unfortunately had an injury a couple of years ago. And uh, he uh, had been uh, with a Division One team uh didn't get to play unfortunately he's now working his way back he is at the college of new jersey and uh, i certainly hope for his sake uh, he's able to to play again because he certainly does love the sport and as a as a proud papa i i certainly love watching him then uh, my middle son evan he's also at uh, the college of new jersey he is uh, one of the most caring people i know uh, he is majoring in uh, double major, special education and history, wants to get his uh, special education master's uh, in four years and uh, then go to law school. And right now he's thinking of being a special education lawyer, which uh, uh, that's a uh, an, an amazing path if, uh, if that's ultimately what he chooses to do and uh, certainly makes me very proud. Our third son, his name is Jay Sean. He, uh, we adopted him three years ago, uh, and he is a wonderful, uh, wonderful addition to the family. And uh, he is now a sophomore in high school, and uh, finding out all of the cool things that uh, that come with uh, with being a high school student. He's into robotics. He's into the track team, uh, and uh, very much into making music. He. Uh, he makes beats and tracks, and uh, he uh, he has a lot of fun with it. And uh, the whole producing music thing is something that uh, that he's definitely uh, interested in uh, in pursuing right now. He is also an African American, and I was wondering if you could give a few thoughts about what having an African American son now has meant for you and your wife, and how that's impacted you all. You're active in Black Lives Matter because it's it's not simply personal, it's family now to you. But what has his, his coming into your family, how has that impacted you? I always considered myself to be racially aware uh, or uh, more uh, racially caring than the average person. And uh, I must say that uh, especially in light of the events since uh, George Floyd's murder, it uh, it doesn't matter much how I view myself uh, in from that perspective. I have a job to do. Uh, I have a son who's black and who is facing uh, a, so a society that uh, views him differently than it views the rest of my family. And that means that I and our society have a lot of work to do to change. It's, uh, I have had the talk many times with Jay Sean. It's sort of hard. He lives in a bit of a, a white bubble uh, being in our house and uh, 
and being protected by our family. But he's 16 years old and got his learner's permit this year. And uh, within the next year, <clears throat> he'll be driving by himself. He'll be out in the world by himself. And I can't protect him then. So, uh, one, I can help teach him. It's not easy to do. And he, like many teenagers, uh, see themselves as a bit invincible. But nonetheless, there is much work to do. And so if it takes me getting out and protesting, if it takes me uh, tweeting uh, about uh, the importance of us treating people with respect, frankly, uh, I I have to do it. It's uh, I think that ultimately... Things will not change until the uh, people in the majority, and specifically the white majority, uh, agree that we need to make change. And uh, I, I see myself as a, a part of that, and want to do uh, want to do what I can. And so every day I'm I'm learning more and more, because frankly, um, I I I. In a recent protest, I I walked with a sign that said, uh, I can't keep calm. My son is black. So it was a take on the old uh, keep calm and carry on uh, signs from the UK. The reality is, if I sit back and I'm calm, this society could end up killing my son just because of the color of his skin. And... He's a wonderful person, a loving person who doesn't deserve that fate. And so I'm willing to do the work. I hope others are too. Lewis, now if I could turn to your professional journey to compliance, I'd like to start with maybe some experiences that uh, you went through either uh, uh, through employment or uh, personal experiences that really helped inform you in a way that maybe not were was not apparent at the time, but when you look back, you you see how it led you down the path to the CCO chair. So I went to a camp when I was uh, fourteen and fifteen years old, named Camp Rising Sun, uh, run by the Lewis August Jonas Foundation up in uh, Rhinebeck, New York, is where uh, the camp uh, was located, and it's a it's a leadership camp that brought 60 uh, uh, campers together, uh, 30 from around the world and 30 from the United States, which uh, and then gave the campers the ability to basically run the camp for eight an eight week summer. And I did that for two summers, meeting many, many campers from around the world. In college, the idea of service to others was even further embedded in me. I uh, joined a fraternity, uh, a service fraternity uh, uh, named Alpha Phi Omega and became very active in that throughout my college years. And the idea, uh, the, the three pillars of Alpha Phi Omega are leadership, friendship, and service. And those ideals uh, really uh, gave me an incredible grounding in the importance of giving back to others. I see uh, compliance and the building of uh, a great compliance culture focused on doing the right thing 
as all about giving back to others. So it uh, it was certainly one of those things that uh, uh, I carry with me still today. And uh, as you mentioned, your professional training is as a lawyer. Could you uh, give us a few words on that and how you windingly moved uh, in the in-house world to the uh, CECO chair? Sure. I, I spent about 13 years uh, as outside counsel uh, w- working in uh, various law firms. Uh, uh, I started with a uh, uh, mid-sized firm at the time. It was about 55 lawyers uh, on the Jersey Shore, Giordano Halloran. Uh, it's still there. It's a, it's a great firm. And I, I found my way through uh, several other firms uh, and ultimately uh, ended with uh, the firm now known as Wilmer Hale. And uh, it I was, for the most of that time, I was an employment lawyer, but actually I started my first year and a half as a uh, corporate generalist, Uh, learned a lot about just straight corporate law, which was a good grounding for me, but then went into employment law and litigation, which uh, I really loved the counseling side and getting to know your client uh, personally and and talking to them about the day-to-day issues, uh, much more so ultimately than the litigation, which frankly, when I first got into the law, I thought litigation was going to be my thing. But it was that counseling and that close connection with your client that uh, that I loved most. And so that brought me ultimately to the in-house world because I thought that that would actually give me the strongest connection to my clients. And I moved in 2005 to Dun Dun & Bradstreet as their head of litigation and uh, employment law. And uh, I spent uh, about uh, six and a half years doing that and uh, was uh, asked to revamp the Dun & Bradstreet investigations process. Uh, And through the work on that, that really drove me uh, to a close partnership with the compliance team. And shortly after that, uh, they asked me to take over uh, as CCO. And uh, I guess the rest is history. Well, we're going to certainly explore the rest Uh, in our next uh, episode. We're going to take a look at some of the qualities that you feel a successful CECO needs. Louis, I look forward to continuing the conversation. Likewise. Thank you, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Thank you again for listening to this episode of The Compliance Life. I hope you will join me again next week where I take up another episode with in The Compliance Life. The Compliance Life is a production of The Compliance Podcast Network. If you would like to be featured on The Compliance Life, please uh, give me an email at uh, tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Also, if you like this series, please give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, Any review and rating would definitely help get the word out about the latest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.